0: My wife listened to an episode of this podcast.
1: Ah, yes. <laughs> thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. <laughs> Welcome back to Reason Together, the podcast for Christians who think about stuff. I'm your host, Daniel Fox, here with my great friend, Thomas Balzamo. And uh, glad to be in another conversation with you today or for you, <laughs> kind of with you, if you'll with give you? us your feedback, um, but with with Tom here. And uh, we've had our share of technical difficulties, but finally up and at it here. And so how are you doing, Tom?
0: Well, one of those technical difficulties is that I'm really tired. <laughs> <laughs> Um, (laughs) Uh, technically
1: that might be a difficulty yes (laughs) yeah
0: technically um no i'm doing well i'm doing well how have you been uh not too bad been doing pretty good thank you
1: yeah as we get started i want to say thank you to our patrons um over at patreon.com slash reason together for all that you do thank you so much for your investment and support as we get started tom i've got uh it kind of may seem like neither here nor there but i have an article that i wanted to share with you because um i just thought it 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 struck me i guess at the his this guy's approach to it do you mind if i bounce it off of you absolutely okay so this this guy here is a senior lecturer in new testament studies at uh an unnamed college here i won't name the college right here um he's uh written numerous articles it says in several books okay so uh this is a, a learned man, I guess. And the uh, it's talking about uh, on this website. Uh, however, I came on here in my studies. It's talking about the church at Corinth. Okay, mm-hmm. how would you typically describe the church at
0: Corinth? Mm, earlier or later? <laughs> um, <laughs> like, 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 are you asking me like initially or? Sure, either way both, like a, mm-hmm. like a. Um, in initially, uh, perverse, uh, <laughs> twisted, debauched, confused, uh, immature and, uh, petty.
1: Okay. So this guy is describing, um, the, the church at Corinth a little bit. He says, uh, in first Corinthians in particular, the apostle treats a wide range of issues affecting the community of believers, including divisiveness, litigation, food offered to idols and class divisions at the communal meal. In so doing, he gives us an unparalleled, though hardly neutral, picture of the life of an early church. Now, I'm going to skip part of this because what struck me was later on in the article. um, He says, uh, it's difficult to know the size of the Corinthian church at the time of this first letter. Scholarly estimates range from 40 to 150 persons. It's often assumed that when the whole church came together for worship, it did so in a believer's home. Uh, but Paul's distinction between church and home in 1 Corinthians 11.22 may suggest otherwise. I thought that was an interesting point uh, worthy of looking at there. But then it says, The church at Corinth clearly suffered from internal tensions. 1 Corinthians 1-4 through reflects the problem of factionalism, where Paul identifies separate parties that claim alternate allegiances to him, Apollos, Peter, or Christ. These parties may represent splits within the church leadership, Then he says, despite conflicts within the group, the Christians at Corinth enjoyed friendly relations with outsiders. Okay. Friendly relations with outsiders. Mm -hmm. Believers dined with non-believers and outsiders might have dropped into a Christian meeting like you see in chapter 14, verses 24 through 25. Christianity at Corinth thus does not appear to have been particularly sectarian or subversive. Indeed, the church at Corinth was much too cozy with the dominant culture for Paul's liking. By engaging in litigation, patronizing prostitutes, and participating in pagan cultic meals, the Corinthians were conforming to the behavior patterns of the larger society. In this first letter, Paul urges them to foster a sense of being at odds with the world. Isn't that a weird way of saying it?
0: What was that that last sentence again?
1: (laughs) In this first letter, Paul urges them to foster a sense of being at odds with the world. And then he finishes with this little two line. Although Paul is critical of the Corinthians throughout much of the letter, their form of Christianity was successful. A large congregation, lively worship, and secure and amicable relations with wider society. I was like, what? What? Like, so he basically passed over. He's like, litigation, patronizing prostitutes, participating in pagan cultic meals. You know, Paul didn't really like all that, but really overall it was successful and they had amicable relations with wider society. And I'm like, what? Like... (laughs) And It doesn't address like I don't know if he's just like a given like ob- obviously those things aren't, but he yeah. never comes out and says no they were carnal and they needed correction and and Paul was trying to bring them into the image of Christ it's just like yeah Paul didn't really wasn't really pleased with that but you know uh, yeah I just th- found that really interesting and that's how he ends the article
0: uh, just okay hmm. um, uh, so, yeah I I'd have to. Read through Corinthians, First Corinthians again, but some of it makes me kind of wonder: Are you maybe leaping a little bit with some of those conclusions? But on the other hand, I'm thinking, you know, is it possible for a church such as the one in Corinth to to have all these issues and still also be a measure of success in some way? Mm-hmm. Well,
1: I think over time, I mean, yeah, obviously God can use people in in some sense where they're at, although. I I feel like he was dealing with something significant saying, look, there's someone in your church practicing a sin that's not even mentioned among the Gentiles. You know, you Mm. need to, you need to discipline this man out. Yeah. Um, So, I mean, there was a serious issue in the Corinthian church and Paul dealt with that seriously, you know? Sure. Um, And so, I mean, I think the success is that when you get to the second letter, it's obvious that they had, they had taken that very seriously, almost too seriously. But right. uh, they had definitely taken the the apostles' words and said, yes, and they sought for purity and they were really zealous for that. That's great.
0: That's That but, sounds successful.
1: That sounds successful. But he, he's referencing 1 Corinthians and talking about these major errors and then says, uh, you know, and then the way he describes Paul, Paul urges them to foster a sense of being at odds with the world. That's just a really strange way of saying that. Yeah. Um. And then like, hey, you know, guys, you need to, you need to start thinking as if they're your enemy. Um. Okay. Well, hmm. yeah, right. You know, and then basically saying, um, so, so Paul's critical of it, but really it's successful. Yeah. And then, then he gives those three. Well, it's successful for those reasons, a large congregation, lively worship and uh, secure and amicable relations with wider society.
0: So you think that's how he's defining success in a church?
1: Yeah, maybe at least the, as large, secu- large
0: congregation
1: and lively worship, lively worship and secure and amicable relations with wider society. I could think of other indicators as like doctrinal soundness and, yeah. um, you know, and, and, and love for each other and evangelism, you know, things like that would be. Uh, yeah. Well, functions. I mean,
0: the whole large congregation thing is just kind of a, a moot point. It's stupid mm-hmm. and irrelevant. Mm-hmm. Um, the, um, what was the second thing? Lively worship. Lively Comple- worship. C- completely subjective. Completely wait, wait, subjective. And where
1: did they get that from? Because people were speaking out of order when they were using the gift of tongues. Yeah, I bet that got
0: lively. I bet it did. You know, like, yeah, oh, yeah, I'm that sure that it did. <laughs> yeah, right. Give <Keep> it up. <laughs> right. But I mean, if that's his definition of success, I mean, some people just don't have that kind of personality where they're going to be what others might call lively. <laughs> um, so. <laughs> But yet they're no less worshiping the Lord. And what what was the last thing that he said? Um,
1: Secure and amicable relations with wider society. You know, I mean, when, when the outside society likes your church, boom, successful, right?
0: Well, I mean, he said secure and amicable. I don't know that that necessarily implies that they liked them. Okay, I think it's I, I think it's good that we have secure and amicable relationships with those outside of the church, um, and I think right. that can be done. Um, it's it's achievable. Uh, but I guess I guess my concern with an article like that, as underwritten, I suppose, as it might be, That's a um, good way to put it. It's just <laughs> it need it needed more development. Because the points are just too, too nebulous. My concern with an article like that is, is it goes to one extreme in which any church at any church can be a success if it meets these incredibly vague, incredibly low bar qualifications that I have randomly chosen to stick at the tail end (laughs) of my article, um, but the other extreme is that we look at it and we say no church can be successful unless everyone that's shown up on Sunday is just this pristine superstar A plus Christian you know right who, yeah I understand. smiles You're his saying. teeth glint. Yeah. you know because um, <laughs> I mean I think the fact is a church can have some pretty nasty things going on sometimes amongst new converts. And there can still be success in a church like that, sure. depending on how the church responds to it. Um, right, right. And, and, and the response is not always immediate. It's not, it sometimes takes development. Um, well, in the, but,
1: same, yeah, in the same way that you think about a family, like you want to be perceived as, as a successful family, right? And then your kid gets out there and does something stupid, (laughs) you know, or whatever, and says something or, and you're like, oh, no, you know, and you feel as a parent, you know, you're withering inside maybe what your child just said or what they did because your family's not perfect and you're raising children that don't, don't always have good judgment. And it's the same way, obviously in a church family that you have younger, should ideally have younger, uh, believers involved. They don't always know what to say, or they're not always super doctrinally sound in everything that they're sharing, but. They've got the heart that's headed in the right direction.
0: Right. Hmm. Interesting article. Are are we going to link that in the show notes? Sure. Yeah, you bet. Okay, that'll be good.
1: All right. So any uh, questions you want to deal with here? We've got a bit of feedback here as well.
0: We do, yeah. Um, We've got this one here. What episode was that? It might have been maybe two episodes ago that we talked about. um, You brought up the phrase, is God in control? Or something yeah, God is in control.
1: A couple episodes ago, yeah.
0: And we got some feedback here from <laughs> No Name.
1: <laughs> oh, No Name. Okay. Well, thank you, uh, No Name, in advance.
0: Yeah, yeah, from No Name. Um, it says here, uh, along with what Daniel said about the cliche "God is in control," um, which, which, by the way, before I read the rest of the email, what was your what was your quick take on on the phrase? God is in control in the episode do you remember
1: um if i remember correctly what i was addressing was the kind of ascribing um uh, everything to god's uh uh immediate design if you will like god's doing this to you um you know if i'm if i'm remembering correctly um
0: okay um, okay so they go on and they say along with this isn't it best to say That in favor of man's free will, God has chosen to basically have a hands-off approach to day-by-day events, choosing rather to govern the world by the principles he instilled in it at creation. The physical rules like gravity and physics determine the physical results of our decisions, just as the spiritual principles God set for the world are largely responsible for the consequences of our moral decisions.
1: You know, what's kind of funny is that... um, like you're reading what I, I sense here by the end of that question was kind of a deep response. And I'm over here like fighting with a sucker package, trying to get this sucker open uh, for my, my daughter. Okay, I just got it. So there we go. Um, so I'm absolutely clueless to that feedback. <laughs> if you could well, <laughs> i
0: I'll, I'll give you the short version of it. Basically, whoever this is that's replying is suggesting that isn't it better to see the idea of God in control as being limited to a degree – by God having put some laws in existence in the universe already. Uh, Physical laws, natural laws, moral laws, even, he says. Right, he's the designer. mm -hmm. Yeah, Uh, and he references gravity and uh, physics determine physical results in our decisions. And then he says spiritual principles that God set forth for the world are largely responsible for the consequences of our moral decisions.
1: Right, in other words, we're... Oftentimes, you know, and I'm thinking I may have gave this, given this illustration in in the podcast um, that you know you you slam your you slam your foot into you know a door frame accidentally, you know, and mm-hmm. oh oh man I'm in pain God why are you doing this to me Well God's not doing that to you That's just natural if you will natural law that when your toe collides with an immovable object. Um, there's going to be, you know, the toe is going to move. Something's going to hurt, you know, your, your, your body's built in there. So it's not God's, uh, Oh, God is judging me for running into the door. No, you basically violated a certain law and it brought about a certain consequence. That's the way it was designed. And spiritually, the same thing is true. If you violate, um, if you violate principles of good financial stewardship, if you violate principles of friendship, if you violate, you know, moral principles, well, yeah, there's going to be consequences tied to those things. And we don't mm-hmm. necessarily have to say God is immediately right there judging you. I mean, yes, it's built into the, it's built into the design that, uh, yes, it is something to, to to draw you back, but it's a consequence of that violation.
0: So you're saying God is, is kind of mostly hands off
1: with. Oh, I wouldn't say it's mostly hands off, but I mean, I'm saying that a lot of, okay. obviously a lot of, I guess I, I cause I mean, I don't, my mind's not big enough to comprehend everything that he's doing to know what, what, what's actually hands on technically, but, right. um, but as far as a lot of those things that we might, a lot of the things that happen in
0: life are
1: dealing with consequences of our actions.
0: Sure. Um, as I was reading it, I was pulling up a note here that, uh, or as you were responding, I was pulling up a note here that I have on, uh, Acts seventeen twenty eight. um, which says, "For in Him we live and move and have our being," mm-hmm. as certain also of your own poets have said. For we also are His offspring, and and I cross-reference there in that note. Um, I have a couple of cross-references written down. Proverbs sixteen thirty-three: "The lot is cast into the lap, but the whole disposing thereof is of the Lord." Mm-hmm. In Romans eleven thirty-six, Paul writes, "For of Him." of him and through him and to him are all things to whom be glory in the church. And then I cross reference. I made a little little chain reference thing here. Um, Uh Uh And then Ephesians one says, um, Paul writes about God. I'll just kind of shorten it here. Give you the, the important section here. According to, I'll just read the whole thing. Actually, we've got time in whom also we have obtained inheritance being predestinated according to the purpose of him who worketh all things, after the counsel of his own will. Mm-hmm. And and I guess that's kind of the one that that I land on here, that God worketh all things after the counsel of his own will. Mm-hmm. Um, what does that mean?
1: Well, I mean, that may be kind of pretty big, but I mean, couldn't part of the counsel of his own will be that the design works? You know? Yeah, okay. So anyway, just saying that it is every... Uh, Is everything that happens a decree of God? You know, when I stubbed my toe, he decreed that I would be in pain. Well, I mean, no, I mean, you know, I'm saying like, well, yes, he, he, he designed it. That's Mm -hmm. how he designed it. So it's going to work. And yet did he decree for that specific action? Ah, he stubbed his toe. Boom. Give him pain. I decree it. Well, Mm -hmm. I don't see it that way that it has to be that way mm-hmm. um uh so so and i'm gonna find in your verse again here what verse was that uh which one who um, worketh account okay verse 11 verse 11 who worketh all things after the counsel of his
0: own will so um anyway as far as i guess that's why i ask because the word worketh sounds fairly active rather than hands off um you know what i'm saying
1: Right. But I mean, at some point there has to be, there has to be some contextual limitation to that verse because the, you know, the Calvinist or hyper-Calvinist is going to take that to an extreme and say, everything that happens is essentially the decree of God. Every mistake I make, uh, Adam's choice in the garden to rebel against God himself, that was of God. That's what they're going to say, you know, that he becomes the author of everything because he, he works everything. Nothing, nothing operates against his desire. And yet there's scriptures that indicate that it does. So, so I think in some ways there's layers uh, to his desire. When, yeah, I, uh, I would he, agree with that. Yeah. Um,
0: that last part anyway is, uh, for instance, First uh, Thessalonians 4.3 mm-hmm. does seem to indicate that there are things that happen contrary to God's desire.
1: Um, what does that verse say? That
0: has to do with our sanctification. For this is the will of God, even your sanctification, that ye should abstain from fornication. And yet it's pretty clear that not every Christian abstains from fornication. Well, right. Um, Peter,
1: Peter says he's not willing that any should perish, but do they? Yes. Mm-hmm. Because, you know, you're also considering the level that um, he has given man a free will. That is his desire. That's his That's his choice. And he lets that work. Um, it doesn't yeah. mean that when that works, then it's contrary to his will because that was his will. And yet he's not willing that any should perish, yeah. you know?
0: And, uh, Matthew seven twenty one, um, Jesus said, not everyone that saith unto me, Lord, Lord shall enter into the kingdom of heaven, but he that doeth the will of my father, which is in heaven. Um, not everyone's going to enter the kingdom. So clearly some didn't do his will. Um, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. so there's clearly, and I like the way you say it layers uh, and and yeah, layers might be a good word for it or or at least for our human mind to understand yeah it, that, right. yeah, good point um but I mean I we, neither one of us would disagree that if God does decree something, it happens
1: mm-hmm.
0: <laughs> mm-hmm. but yet I think that's different than if God commands something because people do disobey. Um, mm-hmm. they mm-hmm. they can resist uh, in some sense. Um, it's an
1: interesting distinction, but yeah, I see a decree and a command. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, right. so so in, in a sense, he has some some will of decree and some will of command. Maybe those would be a couple of layers that we could, if we were going to give them terms. Um, mm-hmm. But you know, I can see how going back to Ephesians one eleven. I I can't I can't see God's hand I, I can't see God's approach to being in control of things as being very hands off. <laughs> you know what I mean? Just because of what that verse says that He worketh all things according to His will. Yeah, um, and I uh, but it, and and I think there's probably a very small faction of the world that would take that to an extreme extreme to suggest that every little stupid thing we do. God decreed it to happen, and thus it happened. Um, you know, a very nihilistic approach uh, to life. I don't know that many actually take that view, and, and it's—I don't think it's fully supportable um, but I think, at all.
1: I think using the word "hands off" sounds very deist. Uh, that yeah, he's removed. Well, no, he's not removed. Like you read earlier, uh, was it Acts seventeen eleven? You know, in Him we live and move and have our being. Yeah. I mean, you're you're always operating inside, right. if you will, God. I mean, there's nothing. Outside of him and and again his yeah, his presence and his control. So
0: you just reminded me of another verse, and I'm trying to see if I can remember where it was. I think it was in Colossians two
1: which, um,
0: about sustaining Yeah, in Colossians, um, yeah. Upholding all things. I can't remember which which it was. I, I'm pretty sure it's in Colossians somewhere in one through three there. Um <clears throat> but yeah, another another verse there that supports the idea that God is intimately involved in creation to the point of sustaining things. Yes, um, Colossians one seventeen. That's it, one seventeen. By okay. him all things consist. Yeah, yeah. And uh, there's another verse I was thinking of that kind of comes to mind with that, is that he upholdeth all things by the word of his power. power. Mm-hmm. And I have no idea where that is, I'm going to be honest. Um, <clears throat> but, uh, yeah, so I guess I guess the thing is what we're talking about is, two different extremes that people often can look at the matter of God being in control. And, and I think yeah. both, of, both of the extremes are wrong when they use one set of scriptures to silence another set of scriptures. Mm. So, and what I mean Good. by that yeah. is when you have those who will say, well, you know, God sets up these laws, spiritual laws and moral laws in the universe and physical laws. And he's just kind of, he lets mankind do their thing, and whatever happens, happens. Um, well, whatever verses they use to support that, if any, they're they're using that to silence yeah. these other scriptures that I've read off here that suggest that God is intimately involved in His creation. And then on the other extreme, you have those who use those second verses, second set of verses, to silence the first half. And and so it's it's like you have to let them both speak right you have to balance them not
1: silence one or the other um, right yeah recognizing it. Hebrews one three is what you're looking for on that other passage
0: right upholding
1: That's all things by the word of his power
0: good um, well thank you to uh, whoever whoever you are that sent in that mm-hmm. that feedback um, let me write that reference on Hebrews 1 what was it Hello? 1, 3. 1 3, and it was Colossians 1.7 on the other one I can find it here.
1: yeah way, 1.17 so.
0: 117. Okay. Mm-hmm. Got it. All right. Um, anything uh, we want to cover on that or is that one pretty much done? I think that one's done. Oh, we're done. <laughs> yep. Okay. What's next?
1: Um, looks like we have uh, feedback on making the world a better place. Yeah. Okay. Let me uh, read this one here. Um, Omar writes, I think when most Christians talk about making the world a better place, they have in mind Jeremiah, uh, 29, 4 through 7. There, in a letter that Jeremiah sent to the exiles in Babylon, God instructed the exiles to build houses, plant gardens, marry and have children, and to seek the peace, shalom, of the city. It would be like the idea of wholeness. And to pray for it. Because as they were a blessing to this city, they would in turn enjoy the blessing. This was even though God told them they'd only be there for 70 years. Good point. Uh, if we Christians are exiles in a hostile world, perhaps this passage helps us see how God would want us to treat the world. I suppose other verses give us instruction as well in matthew five nine Christians are told to be peacemakers, and in matthew five forty five we see the example of God who makes the sun rise on the evil and on the good and sends rain on the just and on the unjust. So going back to that idea of making the world a better place is basically um he's saying having having this relationship with it. Now, my question or my point, uh, a statement I would insert there is, how do you seek the peace of a city? What does that mean? Does that mean that you pay your taxes and try to get involved in like the local fish fry, you know, in the food pantry? Uh, or, you know, what does that mean? Well, ultimately, at, at its core, it basically means to them that you uh, give them a representation of God. You know that you interact with them in an appropriate way. Now, yes, you get involved in, in wholesome things, um, and you demonstrate your care for them, and through that, you 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 know you attempt to influence them. I would say for Christ, certainly prayer would be a part of that, as he mentions. Um, so, uh, you know, to 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 be peaceable in a society is not to stay quiet and let them do what they do. And, uh-huh. you know, not ruffle feathers or not go against the grain. That's not necessarily yeah. being peaceful, seeking the peace of them or being a peacemaker is trying to bring people uh, to peace with God. And uh, and in the process, that means, you know, helping them to understand who he is. So.
0: Yeah, yeah, th- this is correct. And and I didn't go back and listen to the episode in which we talked about that. Um and and I I hope I hope we or I didn't come across as to suggest that we shouldn't try to in some sense make where we live a better place. Um, I, I think really what we're talking about is how that's accomplished, and um, you know, it doesn't always look like we're doing that <laughs> to others when we tell them the truth. <laughs> yeah. Um,
1: and and I think it can. Uh, and I will say maybe to this point, to maybe his broader view here, and I like you know, th- that that I do like the thought that it's more than just giving out a gospel tract. Um, you know, our conversations right. can be more than the gospel uh, strictly defined. Uh, what I mean is that, you know, we can have relationships with people in which we talk about life and we talk about their mm. life and what's going on and, and demonstrate. We we genuinely care for them as people yeah. and and what's going on in their lives. And we can be involved in in different avenues of life, and of course, in all of it, we should we we should be representing Christ, reflecting His character, um, and yes, wanting to have those gospel conversations. But um, you know, if someone thinks that all I can do to make the world a better place is strictly give the gospel, go door to door and give the gospel, and outside of that, I just sort of hole up in my home, do what I want to do, and I go out and give the gospel. No. It there is an involvement in in the society and a connection yeah, there, yeah. I yeah. would say at times. So,
0: I think this goes back to a conversation we had. Well, I'm betting this was a long, long time ago now on the podcast about should we have friends in the world? Mm. And we talked about the difference between having a friend in the world and f- having friendship with the world.
1: Mm. <laughs> um, mm. Yeah,
0: and uh, yeah, that was a long time ago. I think now, and you know, it's it's okay to have. Unsaved people as your friends <laughs> and seek to win their soul. Uh be an influence to them and and you know keep that friendship maintained and and try to uh to be a light um to them for the Lord. You know, that's that it that doesn't mean you're always giving them the gospel every time you're around them. Um, but you know, I think uh the illustration you used one time was from Greg Kokel. Um about a pebble in their shoe. Can, can yeah. you remind me about that? What was that?
1: He talks about you know putting a stone in someone's shoe. Basically, you're sometimes just giving people a thought to uh, bring, a, bring a discomfort to their worldview, to give them right. something that kind of keeps gnawing at them in a way uh, that they have to grapple with because you can't necessarily give them a full presentation of the gospel. May, may, they may not even understand it, but if you put a right. stone in their shoe, you kind of are getting a step in the right direction. Another Mm -hmm. um, uh, example of that being a friend to someone who's yet unsaved and yet used powerfully to influence that person for Christ was uh, the late Nabil Qureshi, uh, who was a, uh, who was a Muslim, but encountered a Christian um, whether it is in high school or college, maybe it was college. um, And they were on a debate team together or something like that. And as he tells the story, um, he said, he saw this, he saw this David, you know, with his Bible open and he thought, oh great. Yeah. Another Christian let's go, you know, cause he was used to taking down Christians and arguing with them. And so, you know, he started into this little rant against, you know, trying to destroy Christianity. And David came back with this powerful argument for the authenticity of scriptures, you know, like you're lying to me, you know, anyway. And so it ended up in this big debate and, uh, and they became really good friends. He said, I was in, the, I was at the man's, I was there when his first child was born. I was in his wedding or whatever it was. And in time, I mean, but I mean, this took a, it was a significant progress of really grappling with the truth that he was finding in his quest for truth as being challenged by his friend David and finally came to the Lord and, uh, and impacted people for Jesus Christ. And then uh, he's passed away now. But um, huh. anyway, that, there's a story there, you know, of a man that really connected with him and they became close on a personal level. And yet it was it was directing yeah. him and influencing him to Christ.
0: Good um moving on, just a quick bit of feedback here. This is from Nicole, and mm-hmm. <laughs> this is important feedback because <laughs> I want to make sure that I get these things right so <laughs> I, <laughs> I I tried to remember it was a particular uh, illustration and and she straight me out on it here she says uh, uh in this show, Tom was trying to remember a quote about opinions." I've never heard the one about diapers, but I have heard and used this. Opinions are like armpits. Everyone has two, and they both stink. (laughs) Have a blessed day, Nicole. And and by the way, she says, please tell your wives I said hello. I I will. uh, Thank you. Yes. (laughs) Which, in in other news, speaking of my wife, this is going to blow you away. This is going to blow your mind. This is life changing. Mm -hmm. My wife listened to an episode of this podcast
1: ah yes <laughs> thank you thank you thank you thank you
0: <laughs> <laughs> so i just uh I just want to put that out there and I'm not really gonna say anything more about that i just think uh I think that's that's kind of um i don't know earth shattering in some ways <laughs> so.
1: <laughs> all right well, now I'll have to challenge my wife be like uh a- Tom's wife lifts into the podcast. That's exactly uh, right. Just just
0: saying, you know, I gave you that as ammunition. So. <laughs> You're welcome. Um,
1: and more than that, she offer also offered us some feedback or, um or a question. Okay. Mm-hmm. And the question, I think basically it was just a link to an Instagram post. I think the question basically stands for, I mean, it's self-explanatory. The link is to an Instagram post that, um, interesting how they use instagram here to actually like put an article in an instagram format yeah, kind um of fun. Uh, yeah, yeah inter- i mean i guess yeah that works for him so it's from the gospel coalition and uh it says the title of it is god will give you more than you can handle and he's basically arguing against the statement which i can uh, i can resonate with arguing against common statements. <laughs> um, but the uh, the statement, the Bible promises God won't ever give you more in life than you can handle. And he's arguing against that. Um, uh, without reading through the whole article, do you want to give any uh, comments on it? Have you read the article?
0: Uh, yeah, I kind of perused it briefly. Yeah. Um, yeah. If I If I can try to summarize it, I think it was basically that when you're going through something difficult and somebody says to you, Well, God won't give you more than you can handle. Thus, what you're going through, as hard as it is, God must think highly enough of you that he thinks you can handle this. And it essentially turns a trial manward. It turns it it makes it sort of a self-centered thing. Um, Additionally, it brings in the idea of fairness into the equation that God is required to only give you what you can handle and never a sliver more. Um, and he's essentially arguing against that point, and he uses Second uh, Corinthians one eight as one of his. Um, and I, I say his. I don't know who's writing this. Um, I think yeah, Second no, Corinthians one eight. Uh, for Paul oh, writes Mitch, for
1: Mitch Chase. Is his Mitch
0: name. Chase. Okay. Second yeah. um, Corinthians one eight says, "For we would not, brethren, have you ignorant of our trouble." which came to us in Asia that we were pressed out of measure above strength insomuch that we despaired even of life. Mm-hmm. Uh, emphasis on above strength there, which essentially is to suggest more than you can handle. Um, but I mean, how do you define the word handle? Like if you, sur- <laughs> if you survived it, does that mean you handled it? Um, I mean, if you didn't die, is that the definition of handling it? <laughs> well, I can.
1: My my thought is that um, as that's maybe as he's describing the use of it. Yeah, it's poorly used to say to anybody and everybody, you know, God's not going to give you more than you can handle. Because to me, it's it's only understood, and I feel like that statement at least should be, if not what originally was used, uh, in the context of a Christian is saying that um you know as a christian who has uh, access to the grace of god god's not going to give you more than you can handle going to was it second i want to say second corinthians seven fourteen. if that's <laughs> that if that four, exists
0: four, 4 17
1: is four seventeen where it says um god uh, uh there is no temptation taken you but such oh. as is common no no, to no. Man. that's
0: 10 10, ten, ten 13. Something. yeah yeah um no I but, was thinking of the one he references in the article which is 2 Corinthians 4:17.
1: Yeah, wait, okay. Um I don't remember. Oh, I see. Um Okay, and I don't think I'd gotten that far in the article. Yeah, he says but, for
0: our our light affliction is but for a moment uh worketh for us a far more exceeding eternal weight of glory. In other words, saying it's a light that basically everything. And I've heard this preached before that thus everything should be considered a light affliction.
1: Um Right, which I mean, comparatively as a, as a matter of perspective. But yeah. you know, he's he's saying when you when you appeal to somebody who's just their life has been wrecked, there's no good time for that, you know. And 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 something traumatic has just happened, and you say, hey, but God's not gonna, you know, you must be able to handle it, buddy. You can, you know. Well, okay, maybe that's not the best statement. And to an unsaved person, they can't handle it because to me, it is almost assumed that well, I can handle it by the resources of the Holy Spirit. And and I think he might agree with that. As far as the passage with Paul saying we were pressed um, beyond measure above strength uh, so that we despaired even of life, I feel like there's a difference between um, here maybe what we're talking about, spiritual ability or emotional ability versus physical ability. Obviously, I can find myself in situations where physically I'm in peril, mm-hmm. um, you know, that I might die, that doesn't mean I can't handle this. I mean, in the way that I think it's typically understood, obviously I can't handle, like you shoot me three times, I can't handle it. (laughs) Um, uh, And I don't, that's, you know what I mean? To me, that's a different Mm -hmm. thing than saying spiritually, if you are right with God, there is always an avenue. In other words, he's never going to give you something that's absolutely going to uh, destroy you. He's always going to work
0: in in the spiritual sense is what yes yeah.
1: yes and, and as a Christian um, especially that God there's always resources to to bring about blessing, you know all things work together for good uh, to them uh, that are the called according to his purpose um, but you understand what I'm saying that I, I feel like if you understand it in a context of connecting with the Lord, maybe that's not the best way to say it, of having the resources that he offers to the believer uh, through Christ and through the Holy Spirit, that there's nothing he's going to give you you can't handle as you're relying on him. But obviously outside of that, yeah, there's a lot we can't handle because in our humanity, we're very frail. And to me, that's a given. But if he's maybe addressing that for people to say, look, stop using this so widely to just tell anybody that they can handle what comes into their life, no, right. no, they can't. That's not a good use of it. I would agree right.
0: That. Yeah. Okay. So we would agree generally with the point of the article.
1: Yeah, I didn't. Yeah. Yeah, I think so.
0: Yeah. Okay. So,
1: all right, good. Thanks Rosa for not only listening, but writing in and offering us feedback. And so challenge uh, to other listeners, uh, you see an article that you say, boy, what do you think of that? That just doesn't seem quite balanced or, something mm-hmm. sticks out to me, send it our way. Uh, just yeah. even send us a link with a few thoughts, maybe what your thoughts were, what your question is. Um, uh, recent together podcast at gmail.com. We'd love to hear from you. Once you type it in the first time, I think your, uh, your uh, internet provider there will, uh, or your, uh, what do I say? Email. Your browser, your email uh, <laughs> provider. Thank you. Your email provider will kind of like memorize it. Next time you'll just go R E A boom it'll be there. Right. Yeah. And you'll be able to respond to that much easier the next time.
0: Yeah. You can add us to your short list. (laughs) Yeah. So like all the most important people in your life that you contact immediately. Right. You know, give us like number three. We'd be happy with that. Be like mom
1: and then like pastor and then reason together. No,
0: like, like 911, you know, that would be up there. And then, then maybe, you know, mom and well, then mom's
1: always first. Yeah. I think, I mean, you yeah. could you like your leg could have just been chopped off. And instead of calling the ambulance, you're like, call mom. Yeah. You're saying,
0: and, yeah. Yeah. And then third, just have reason together podcast at Gmail right, right
1: there. Yeah. and and, uh, and the funny thing is, I don't know if dad's even in that, like, like in number seven, like mom knows first thing. And then dad, he might find out at supper that, you know, <laughs> we nearly killed ourselves, but like mom knew right away. Um, you know, dad just gets home and he finds an ambulance and he's like, what? I didn't, didn't even know. <laughs>
0: well, on, on that, on that familial note, um, we're going to say goodbye for now on this one. Yeah.
1: Just give us some feedback, please. <laughs> yes. All right. Um, we
0: give give Daniel your feedback on that one. <laughs>
1: All right. Thanks again for listening. We're encouraging balance, developing perspective, and connecting faith to practice. This is Reason Together.